Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on News Radio 1120. KMOX. All right. Welcome into the show about innovation. Travis Sheridan, Michael Calhoun. This show uh, covers it all. We're going to go from cool to fire in this no. show. I like how you did that. I like how you did that. Corny joke. We're going to talk about Cool Fire Solutions. The technology company. The software company that's dealing in this artificial intelligence kind of world that we're entering into. Just raised a big amount of money to further their expansion plans. And so the CEO is going to stop by to explain how they're helping everybody from the military to enterprise rent-a-car streamline and make their operations more efficient and more responsive, too. You know, this is the uh, probably the second or third week in a row where we've had people in, entrepreneurs in, in the St. Louis region, or talking about the entrepreneurs in the St. Louis region who are raising outside capital, who mm. are raising investment dollars to further their their operation. And this one's unique. Uh, you'll hear why. Uh, and it's a it's a it's a route that St. Louis companies are increasingly look to uh, looking to. So we'll get the scoop on Cool Fire Solutions, and then we'll head out to the airport, so to speak, and find out about a big expansion that's planned for Terminal 2, which a few years ago, a decade or two ago, was the small terminal, the quaint terminal, the big roaring TWAs and T1, or the main terminal at the time, and at the time it was the East Terminal with upstart Southwest Airlines. Boy, how things have changed. Southwest just dominates that terminal now. They have a lounge out there, they're expanding, and they're adding. And they keep expanding down into former TWA gates in the old Concourse D. They're labeled E now, but those are old gates that are being resurrected by Southwest. And, and you might wonder, why are we talking about airport remodeling and expansion? If we think about what really drives the economy in a lot of these, especially fly over or fly to country, as as it's been referred to nowadays. But Denver has spent billions on their need, airport. And yeah, the infrastructure. we need to make sure that it's easy to get in and out of the city so that business can get done. And so this expansion at, uh, over at the airport is very relevant. And we'll find out why Southwest, because they're paying for a lot of this, most of this upgrade and renovation. So we'll find out why they're so interested in St. Louis And if this is really a long-term commitment that we can be happy about with Southwest. And then we're going to stay on the global theme and talk about Global Hack. Yeah, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in our our final discussion with Matt Minetti, the uh, executive director of Global Hack, learning a little bit more about what it means to be a civic hacker. You know, you're not doing using your powers for evil, but you're using them for good and what they're trying to do to tackle really assimilating and helping immigrants and uh, immigrants and foreign-born people get connected in the St. Louis region. This is the seventh global hack. I almost can't believe it. It's gone by so fast. And they've done everything from help Emerson figure out how to make thermostats more efficient and have better software to helping folks learn about the court system and, and get better access to information about their, their situation and further their situation. Yeah, I think it's... it, And they do this whole hackathon, this big event at the Chaffetz Arena. Uh, so it's down on the floor where there's always a sense of competition but this is competing for the social good and 
if you're wondering how can computer programmers help the homeless or help the immigrant population we'll ask uh, matt minetti he'll explain and he'll also say that you don't have to be a programmer to show up to global hack and help out so much to get to why don't we just get to a uh, commercial break we'll come back and we'll get right into cool fire solutions we'll be back welcome back michael calhoun with you and one of the big news stories this week involved cool fire solutions a st louis growing company and ceo don sharp is with us on kmox thank you for coming in thank you so much for having me i'm excited to be here so people uh, may have heard of the word cool fire uh before there are different companies that this is involved with uh what is cool fire solutions maybe people have heard of cool fire studios what's the what's the difference and what do you do right we're completely separate companies today but we came out of cool fire studios they obviously do high-end video production and, and original content for TV shows. Yeah, people probably know a lot of the reality shows that yeah, they produce. Yeah, they've done yeah. a lot of really amazing stuff. They actually do some stuff for us, too. Um, but we were born out of them. We're now completely separate companies. But we are focused on, uh, we have a mobile software platform that's all about getting the right data in the right people's hands at the right time. So our platform layers on top of existing system systems, takes data, gets it out to the edge of an organization. So that could be a frontline employee working at Enterprise renting cars, or it could be a, a, a public officer, you know, protecting the Central West End or whatever it might be. But it's really a game-changing solution that's been driving a ton of innovation, both in the corporate space and, and our roots, which are in the military as well. So we're doing some things on border security, border patrol as well. Okay. So to help me understand this, it sounds like there are a lot of different computer systems and software that people have to deal with some of it might be complicated, and your software kind of takes takes those layers out and makes it easier for people to access new technology? Well, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good description. I mean, the way we think about it, so what we've seen and what I've seen in my past is every company, one of the greatest underutilized assets they have is information and data. Mm-hmm. They got a ton of it. It's sitting in systems, but they can't use it. They can't make it actionable. And a lot of times they'll try to integrate in the back, back end and, and do some really expensive, complex, risky things. We've made it simple. Our platform layer is on top, takes the data that matters, gets it into the, the edge of the organization, allows them to do whatever they need to do, rent a car for enterprise as an example, do that transaction. And instead of having to do all this complex integration work, we just take what's needed, we do what they need to do with the data, we send it back, and it's a much more effective uh, way to make that data actionable. What are some examples of, you mentioned the military, you also mentioned enterprise, which when we get to the investment news, they're involved with that. But what are some examples, I think when people, uh, when data and AI comes to mind, retail I think is what's been in the news a lot, trying to crunch data and and market specifically to people, but what are some applications that you've seen? So uh, the first, one of the big ones, our roots are with the military, but we continue to focus on that, is border protection. So border uh, patrol units will use our platform They'll use, they're called unattended ground sensors, but think seismic sensors, uh, radar, motion-activated cameras. When somebody crosses the border, alert goes off. It goes into our Ronin, our software products call it Ronin platform. It goes into the platform in real time. The Border Patrol knows exactly where they need to go. They could be 30 miles away, but they know somebody just crossed the border. We've got to go figure out who that is and if they're a threat. It's like an electronic wall. Yeah, exactly. It's... Everybody's talking about the physical wall, which is probably great in some applications, but a, you know, a digital wall, electronic wall, we think in many cases can be much more effective. So that's one example. Another one you touched on, Enterprise Rent-A-Car. They were our first big commercial customer. Um, they're using it in their non-airport rental car locations 
to create a frictionless operating environment. So if you walk into one of those rental car locations, you'll see them holding tablets. It's our platform that's running there. And basically what we did is took data from their various legacy systems, brought it onto one device so their frontline employee could do the transaction very simply, effectively, and much faster. We we cut the transaction time in less than half. Wow. And I, I also see that um, transportation is is one of your core areas, and uh, smart cities is always Internet of Things. It's always fascinating to me. What are some applications that you think cities could take a look at, whether it's you know, uh, improving their efficiency in delivering services or building out their infrastructure so it better serves the populace? Yeah, and that's a, we think that's one of the purest, best uses of our Ronin platform because at the end of the day, our whole strength is taking data, whether it's from legacy systems or it could be the latest, greatest. Everybody talks about the Internet of Things sensors. It could be those. We can take all like that. Like my Nest. Right. <laughs> well, that's a great example in your home. That is an Internet of Things sensor. So we can take any of that data and then turn that data into action so that you can do things more effectively. So a great example um, in smart cities is an obvious one is police, right? Being able to see real time, where are my officers at? being able to share information from video cameras in the palm of their hand so they can more effectively respond to incidents. But even simple examples like um, the delivery of trash, right? It's a which, which we've talked about a lot recently in St. Louis. Exactly. And so it's a, it's a fairly, fairly antiquated process in almost every city, yet, yet there's a ton of information that you can real-time dynamically respond to calls from people Right, being able to see real time, have my what routes have my trucks gone on? Have they picked up the trash? Yes. If somebody calls and says, "Hey, you know, I, I forgot to put out my trash. I need to get picked up," you can see on a tablet or on a computer screen or on a mobile device what where, what what trash truck is the closest and how can I reroute, reroute them most efficiently, the fastest, to take care of that situation. So it really is about driving, you know, fundamentally different levels of of efficiency and, and frankly better service but you can apply that anywhere utilities power outages um, for example you know a lot of times if there's wide scale power outages uh, crews will be brought in for other other states mm-hmm. it's not a good way to communicate with them other than by radio well if they had mobile devices with our own platform you could communicate from the command center to the work mm-hmm. crews get real-time status on what's going on and is the repair made and then if something changes or you get a new problem area, you can look and see where is the, the best crew, the closest crew with the right tools and equipment to go respond to that. Wow. We're talking with Don Sharp, the CEO of Cool Fire Solutions, and the big news this week, $11.5 million. What Series B, explain to people what that means for those who aren't familiar with the startup vernacular. Yeah, so typically when you're raising money, you'll typically start with what's called a seed round, and that kind of gets you going. The next raise is your A round which typically is to help further accelerate your growth, then B, then C, D. You know, each raise has a letter associated with it is basically what it is. You've tapped into one of the innovative routes I think St. Louis startups have found, which is getting an investment from one of your big customers, which we talked about enterprise earlier. Correct. Yes, um, we've been able, very fortunate so far in that um, all of our capital raises have been through strategic investors. So people like enterprise, and then we had a... Uh, uh, the person who led the round is a strategic investor. We can't disclose their name at this time, but i um, very fortunate to have them. I mean, Enterprise, frankly, is is the best run company I've ever seen, true innovative company. And so to have them both as a customer is a wonderful thing, of course, but to have them as an investor is even better because a company like Enterprise, you know, obviously you're trying to raise money and you need the money and it's important. But if you pick the right investor, 
what they bring beyond the money is even more valuable. And I'll tell you, a company like Enterprise, what they bring to the table as far as helping us grow and strategic advice and connections has been much more impactful even than the money. Money's important, but they brought even more than that. We had some great news this week. I love writing these news stories. Uh, the Forbes and Steve Case list, uh, putting St. Louis second on the list of rising startup cities. From your experience uh, growing Cool Fire Solutions here, what's been the, the atmosphere for growing your company? Have there ever been moments where you've thought, gosh, it'd be easier if we were in Chicago or Philly or Austin or Denver? What's your perception of the way the St. Louis uh, ecosystem is? Well, it's, first of all, it's fantastic. St. Louis has a very vibrant tech community. You know, if you look back five years ago, I would tell you that getting the attention of, of investors is a little harder, was a little harder, and that's now really starting to change. But if you look at what makes a, a company ripe for having a healthy technology ecosystem, it's a great talent pool. You know, St. Louis has that. Um, it's tremendous higher uh, education. You know, there are some unbelievable um, academic institutions, universities that are here. And then a lot of large corporate companies and partners that can help, you know, spur the innovation and help support these companies. St. Louis has that in spades. So it's been a tremendous city and I think has great potential moving forward. I think bottom line, Forbes got it right. They maybe should have put it one, <laughs> but I think they got it right um, because St. Louis, and it's it's not well known yet, but it's going to be because I think there's some great things happening here. Yeah, St. Louis ranked ahead of, they took out, you know, the, uh, the Seattles and the New Yorks and the San Francisco's yep. for that list. But the Denvers were still on there, and St. Louis ranked ahead of Denver, which is considered to be a, a really strong tech hub. Oh, absolutely. And I can tell you, it's interesting. I've got you know anecdotal stories that we've actually been able to hire. We've had success hiring people from some of these large tech centers like Silicon Valley because there's people who have gone out there thinking it's going to be you know the greatest thing ever, and then they realize they can't even afford to live. So we've had a number of people come back that we've been able to hire from Apple and other places because of what St. Louis offers, better quality of life, you know, more effective cost of living. Um, so there's a great story to tell here. And we hear a lot about workforce and the questions of whether St. Louis is able to build after Amazon. There was the question of, are, do we have the critical mass or can we attract the talent? You're saying you've got the track record. We've attracted talent. We, we haven't had a problem building our workforce here. Exactly. I think that's proven. And I think, like I said, uh, St. Louis has a very uh, under-recognized tech community. I describe it as vib vibrant, um, and I think it all. A lot of it starts with you have world class universities, world class, um, you know, educational institutions here, and it all starts with that. And the, the the kids come out of those 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 schools, and they are ready to 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 go. So I think that's a big contributor to it. But I'll tell you, we have been really excited about the quality and the amount of tech talent here in St. Louis. Well, Don, what's next for Cool Fire Solutions, especially with this Series B done? Well, we got to grow the business, and it's really about scaling revenue. So uh, a lot of that, that money is going to go to investing in our sales and marketing function to really drive revenue growth. At our core, we're a software company, so investing in our, our own platform is incredibly important. So our platform, we believe, applies across many different, different industries. So we have lots of opportunities to invest and evolve that to solve different needs of different industry segments. So it's for us, it's all about full steam ahead and growth and hiring and getting some more talent in and continuing the success path we've been on. Like I said, we're unbelievably fortunate to have uh, companies like Enterprise that are have uh, have seen that that potential and have uh, been a, an unbelievable partner for us. Don Sharp, CEO, Cool Fire Solutions. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having and me. We'll be right back with more Nothing Impossible after this. 
Now, back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. As the winds of airport privatization swirl. Sounds like a lead into a drama series. But no, we are going to talk about the uh, public-private partnership happening over at the airport with Southwest Airlines. Michael had a chance to sit down with Rhonda Homnabriggy, the director of the airport, to learn about what this expansion really means. As we've seen Southwest grow, especially in these last two years, and uh, future growth that we know we have planned already for the spring schedule, uh, we've got additional activity coming on. It's something that we've heard from the customers. It's also something that Southwest has been watching very closely and looking at their numbers. And we, both the airport and Southwest, felt that it was time to, to move this project forward. So we're, we're really excited uh, to look at the expansion. Explain about the baggage carousels, but also beyond that, it looks like a, a totally new aesthetic down there, more light, more windows, more retail. Kind of give a summary of what this is going to be like. Right. So, and those are renderings. I mean, if you're if you're referring to the renderings we had, those those are just renderings. But as we take out the glass wall uh, that is currently the end of the baggage claim, that will be where the area is expanded to. So, we currently have a uh, a service animal uh, relief area out there, uh, pet relief. So, we'll have to move that on down. But the the new carousel will be larger than the existing two. So that will be built first, and then we will also do a renovation of the other two carousels in that area. We will be moving the baggage claim area to a more central location, the baggage service office for Southwest to a more central location. And then we are trying to build in not a lot of retail, but build in a little bit of space to have a coffee shop or uh, just a meeting area there where people can pick a refreshment up. So, you know, it, it won't be a, a lot of retail, but but there will be some opportunity there to perhaps put a, a coffee shop or some sort of a, a meet and greet um, area. In terms of Southwest uh, kicking in the more than sixteen million to support the T two renovations, is that a good sign that people should look to that Southwest is making? I know they've been moving the flights down from Midway and moving down Concourse D, but it seems like this is a, a long term commitment for them. It is, and I think you know if you look at a, a at a. a public-private partnership in, in this scenario is a great one because, you know, I mean, most of Terminal 2 is dedicated to Southwest. We, we do have uh, international arrivals there, and WOW also departs out of there, but the majority of that terminal is, is obviously Southwest. And so when we started looking at this partnership, you know, one of the things that we talked about was how can we do it together? Yeah, they've said they, they really appreciate how elastic St. Louis has been able to be with the ability to go down D and add more gates. And what do you think the future holds for them? Could we see uh, a continued buildup of connecting traffic for them? Well, we know we're seeing it on the March schedule. So, you know, I will only look schedule to schedule, obviously, um, you know, for us, it's we think it's been a win-win situation with the growth that we've seen. It was a, a project that we started working with them, uh, you know, a few years ago as as they became our larger carrier and then really not seeing as much of the growth in the St. Louis market, really what's our next step to try and bring more additional traffic into St. Louis. And, and that kept coming back to the connecting growth. So we worked really closely with them to make sure that, you know, it's been a focus of ours to try and continually get our costs down, yet reinvest in the airport, look for more non-aeronautical revenues. And, and so as we've been showing and proving that those costs are coming down and that we're, we're able to project out further for them, for all the carriers, uh, a, nice, a, a nice cost reduction, yet still improvement in the airport, I think that was one of the things that they started testing and said, let's see if we can 
move traffic over St. Louis and let's see if we can do it cost-effective with a nice yield on their ticket and the completion factor, meaning that as they connect people through, they're actually making their connections because that had been a problem uh, in Midway where their completion factor, as we call it, wasn't as strong. So the connecting traffic through St. Louis has been doing very, very well. I think it's actually performed much better than they had anticipated. And so they've been morphing more and more of that through St. Louis. So on the March schedule, uh, you know, I think there are an additional, we have the Punta Cana Montego Bay flights just for the weekend. But if you look at the March schedule, there's a number of markets which are getting an additional flight, markets like Hartford and um, uh I'm trying to think. I don't have the paper in front of me, but there's a number, Columbus. I mean, there's a number of markets that are getting an additional flight, and they're getting that not because we're seeing the numbers grow in St. Louis, but because they're moving, connecting traffic through here at a greater pace. So we're excited about the March schedule. I mean, it brings, you know, about 1,300 additional seats uh, a day during the week uh, to the airport. I mean, that's a pretty significant um uh, that's a pretty significant number. And then what it does is it allows the opportunity for local customers to have the benefit of not just a market with maybe one or two flights, but now a market that's seeing additional service throughout the day. Expansion, good. Airports, good. Getting travels in and out, good. Good things happening in St. Louis. And we're going to continue those good conversations as we dig in with Global Hack. Stay tuned. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome back, Michael and Travis, with you as we continue. Let's talk about Global Hack right now. Let's talk about refugees and immigrants and solving for them using technology and the solutions that could be generated here in the community. Yeah, we always love figuring out these these big solutions. How can software help make situations better? Matt Minetti's here to help us figure out what's going to be on the table for Global Hack next weekend. Thank you for coming in, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So what's the so this is Global Hack which number? How many is this now? This is seven. Yeah. Number seven. Mm. And what is the hack this time? This is uh, October twelfth through fourteenth. So coming up in eight days. And what are they? What's the problem that are working on? So, um, like you mentioned, the, the theme for this uh, year's hackathon is on um, individuals who are foreign born. So looking at um, immigrants and refugees, and ultimately ways in which software can either help them directly as individuals, or taking a look at um, the tools that different organizations like International Institute, Mosaic use to um, serve that community. Before we get into the the specifics about those issues. Uh, maybe catch people up on Global Hack, what the f- what the format is. People hear the word hack and they're like, "What's going on? Do I need to like make sure my firewall's up?" What is Global Hack? What do you what do you do, and what's been the history? Yeah, so uh, I'll let you know we we're not stealing your bank account information. You know, it's not our business model. You're not hacking into my nest and changing my temperature at home. Yeah, no, no, I can't imagine that'd be infuriating. It's like I thought I set it to sixty five. So uh, Global Hack, we're a not for profit organization here in St. Louis, and our mission is about driving social impact through technology. So um, one of the ways in which we do that is by putting on um, these very fun, very innovative uh, software competitions that we call hackathons. So um, hackathon is typically like a three-day event on a weekend where we bring together technologists and innovators and other and citizens to solve real-world problems using technology. Um, so it's, it's a fun event. It's high intensity, um, but you get to see some really amazing projects that are built over the course of a you know 36 or 48-hour period. What are a couple examples of uh, previous themes for the for the global hack and some of the solutions that have come out and the effect they've had? Yeah, so um, 
you know, we, we started doing um, hackathons back in 2014, and they were focused around uh, mostly problems for um, tech startups and corporations. So we work with a local tech startup called TopOps um, that's doing very well now and helping them develop a sales tool. Uh, we uh, helped Emerson with a um, kind of hardware, software um, a digital for what, therm- thermometer. For their thermostats, right? For the, yeah. Ooh, talking about hacking, we were just talking about yeah. hacking <laughs> Yes, that was... That was inadvertent on yeah. my part. I this forgot about This is consensual hacking. One. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was a cool event that we did with Emerson up in Umsel. Um, and uh, in terms of some of the civic events that we've been doing since 2015, we uh, were hacking the um, municipal court system, not, not specifically, but uh, trying to improve it and citizens' access to information. And then our, our uh, the one we did in 2016 was focused on homelessness and tools that, again, homeless agencies can use to better serve um, clients who are and individuals who are homeless. For the one uh, criminal ju- uh, justice and criminal courts, as well as the homeless, what's been the output from there? What's happened after the hackathon, after those 48 hours? Yeah. So in both instances, um, you know, the work didn't stop. So the hackathon and in, in, uh, that would have been September 2015, uh, we ended up working with um, a couple local organizations, uh, a group called Open Data SCL, um, Rise Community Development in St. Louis County um, to, you know, put on that hackathon and be able to come up with the individual use cases that our teams would ultimately kind of build around. Um, so if you go to, I believe it's your stlcourts.org or .com, um, you can take a look at what that team has continued to build after the hackathon. So the, the general idea is that, um, you know, St. Louis, as you know, is a generally pretty fragmented uh, uh in, in region. And so uh, our court system kind of speaks to that and that um, I just dealt with this the other day, right? You get a parking ticket or you get a speeding ticket in one particular municipality. You live in another, you're not really sure where to go and how to- Which court to go to, how to pay it, right? Exactly. Yeah. How to even look up. So for someone like me, who's you know educated, privileged, it's pretty easy for me to potentially find that information. Um, but for someone who's not, um, it can be uh, really damaging to someone's just emotional health or their their bank account to just be able to like, hey, I just want to pay this and, and move on, right? So uh, we wanted to be able to provide that information in a, a much more easy and more direct way to, to citizens. And so if you go to SEO, uh, your SEO courts, they have a number of different municipalities who have signed on to work with them. You can enter in, you know, a lot of times we don't have all the information we have for, uh, you know, an infraction. It can be, ah, oh, I don't, I don't know the municipality that I, that I had that um, speeding ticket in, or I don't know, uh, you know, I lost my ticket, right? I was so upset at the fact that I got pulled over that I just tossed it in the trash. So sometimes we're dealing with incomplete information. So um, you can look up information by your last name, your date of birth. Um, and it's just a lot. It's just, it seems like something so simple, like, like why? Why hasn't this been done? Um, so it's a it's a free and public tool, and we're really grateful that that um, that kind of group of partners was able to actually get some money through uh, the MacArthur Foundation to continue that that solid work. So that's that's what we did out of 2015. The 2016 hackathon, um, you know, generated a, a really interesting product called uh, Samaritan. So Samaritan allows um, organizations, a lot of times they have to enter in, um, if they're doing a client intake for individuals who are homeless, they have to do it in multiple databases. So it becomes, uh, you know, very, it's not super efficient. So efficiency is kind of a trend here. You can see that um, where they have to enter information to multiple databases. So this allows them to enter in information once. Um, So that helps both them save time, but from a data kind of quality and consistency basis. Um, And so we're we're actively piling that with a number of um, local organizations now and um, look to expand it in the future. 
What's, what's interesting about both of those solutions, the, the courts one and the homelessness one, and you mentioned the efficiency, you get hundreds, if not thousands of people working on them, and they create somewhat of a simple solution. Like it, it, yeah. it, it, it like incremental, like it's an incremental solution that has a magnitude of an impact. Uh, is that typical when people are hacking? They're not necessarily looking for something really earth shattering, but they're finding an incremental way to really make a big difference. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good observation. I think one of the things we've learned about this kind of like implementation or even just hackathon process is that um, it is just that, right? It is it is more about the process, right? The technology is great. We have to figure out ways in which we can introduce technology to, um, you know, kind of a, a user and test group that may be um, afraid of technology or maybe, uh, uh, you know, they may not know how to use it. So I think there's... Um, this whole idea of, oh, if you build it, they will come, you know, it's, it's, it's not, that's, that works in field of dreams. It doesn't work for tech. Um, so you have to bring people along for the ride and really explain to them how technology and innovation is going to help their industry or help their particular organization and ultimately the clients and the people that they serve. So I think that for a lot of these solutions too, what you're able to do in the hackathon setting is really remove any sort of tech barriers to say, hey, we don't know how to do that, but we have an idea of what it looks like. Um, that's where you are able to bring in technologists to say like, hey, we can fix the the tech thing, but we rely on you to help us with the process. Um, but, you know, I think, I don't know, isn't like Murphy's Law, isn't that like the, the simplest solution is often the best one? Yeah. I maybe I don't know, Google it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to sound smarter than I think I am. But, but I think oftentimes it's really just being able to provide for a lot of these kind of civic projects information to people um, at a time and place in which they need it. And, and I think there's a lot of kind of efficiencies within those types of projects. Do you think there's an element of competition with this that also drives people to, I mean, you're, you're there for just the weekend. <laughs> you throw this problem out to a, an arena full of hundreds or thousands of people and put them in groups and they're all competing to come up with a solution by the end of the weekend. How does that drive, do you think, what happens at this? Yeah, I think that's definitely something in play. I think one of the things we've we've also been cognizant of is, you know, while while it is a competition, we have some cash prizes that, you know, this is about this is about building and building together. So I think that you introduce just amount of competition where it doesn't get it doesn't get to the point where you don't kind of trust your neighbor or rely on, you know, you don't just want, your like team. sabotaging of other groups. Yeah, like it just <laughs> it just kind of defeats the spirit of of open source technology too if it's just kind of like, well, this is just for me, right? That's not the point. The point is to be able to deliver value and ultimately change lives in the world. One of the changes we made is um, in judging, right? So before judging was kind of all done, you know, in secret and, uh, you know, you go to a room and show off your project and be like, all right, great, you know, bring in the next person, kind of like American Idol. <laughs> um, and so now we, it's all open, or at least the first round of judging that we have, um, people, uh, the judges actually visit you and we encourage other teams to visit other teams' projects. And we, it's kind of the science fair format. And, and people have really enjoyed that. You know, I love just going up and down the aisles and saying like, yeah, tell me what you built. You know, how did you build it? And just for them to be able to show it off, I think there's this element of like th this adult show and tell, like, look at what I built. Isn't this cool? Or the um, adult science fair, as you were mentioning. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, look at this cool experiment that I've, I've I, there was a hypothesis I tested and here's where we and, are. Yeah. And, and we invite members of the public to check that out. So if, you know, people are interested in checking it out, you know, come on Sunday, register for a guest ticket. Um, we'll get you in and you can come check out the projects um, and observe and see what they built. Now, I know you released the specific problem at the start of the hackathon so mm -hmm. that people don't get a head start before they get to the arena. But 
Uh, generally, what is this going to be about innovating for the immigrant experience and, and the organizations that are involved, Casa de Salud, the Mosaic Project, the International Institute, and the Immigrant Services Providers Network? Yeah, so we've been working with them, um, yeah, you know, now for, for over a year and really um, developing those partnerships and relationships and really trying to understand as best we can, you know, what what does someone who, who comes to this country, whether whether by um, by force or by any other means, you know, what is their experience? You know, um, what organizations do they seek out? Um, how do they build community? How do they build relationships? And 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 where can software potentially be helpful in that, or just technology or innovation in general? So that's been kind of this overarching theme or question. And so um, you know, right now we're kind of just just finishing up putting the the touches on. Okay, let's take a look at some use cases for what a person might interact with um, particular institutions, whether it could be like visiting a bank or, you know, things that we may take for granted that are going to be barriers for someone who is moving to a brand new community, brand new cultural norms, new languages. um, And, um, you know, where might we, we seek to add value. It seems incredibly timely right now, given the current political climate that we're Mm -hmm. living in. um, Well, even just the past few years uh, before the, (laughs) it became really imposing in politics lately the mosaic project has been stressing the need to get more foreign-born folks to st louis absolutely i mean it's it's a good economic engine to encourage (laughs) and embrace the foreign-born unfortunately we live and you know we're not this is not a nonprofit radio show so we can take positions but unfortunately (laughs) we live in a world right now uh, where we're making it hard for our foreign-born to come into this country do you think anybody's going to take any sort of political angle in trying to solve for this solution? That's a good question. We don't know. I mean, we've been cognizant of the of the timeliness of the, and and the language that we use and um you know, I think one one of the benefits too is that, you know, regardless what happens in kind of that political climate, we're about building solutions, right? We we know that there are challenges and we hope that um you know, we can we can argue, you know, about what to do around policy and different things. Um, but when it comes to the hackathon, it's, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that people can kind of set those differences aside to say, like, regardless of where you are politically on this, um, you know, someone who is coming into this country, let's assume that, um, you know, that's the use case that we're dealing with. Let's figure out how to make them more welcome. And I think that's something that we can we can all agree on. What are these organizations, um, what kind of feedback have they given about what you mentioned, for instance, going to a bank? What are some of the challenges that they've passed along that have said, yeah, these are some some things we'd love to work on? Um, so, yeah, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag too <laughs> soon, but I think part of it, you know, Travis was kind of speaking to like the economic development impact of, of, of um, individuals who are foreign born, right? And I think that um, that is often overlooked and something that, you know, Mosaic and others have been really speaking to. So, um, you know, m- taking a look at things around workforce, I know that's, uh, you know, a key uh, priority for the governor and a number of folks within the St. Louis region. So um, potentially taking a look at some things around around workforce and jobs, um, you know, that seems to be, uh, again, a growing theme and um, and then bringing it, out, bringing it down from kind of that higher level kind of political and systematic view to like an individual and saying like, yeah, how does someone find a job? You know, how does someone succeed in their career who's not here? It's probably just like anybody that moves to a new city or a new neighborhood. You have to find a way to, you know, get connected to that neighborhood. Uh, Matt, we, we're talking a lot about the event coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. What are the dates on that again? October 12th through 14th. October 12th through 14th, globalhack.org, if they want to get more information mm-hmm. and get tickets to participate and or be a uh, uh, a visitor at the on the finals. 
so outside of the hackathons, what else is Global Hack doing? You do a lot working with youth as well, correct? We do, yeah. So, um, you know, our education programs really kicked off in 2016, and they um, have been um, increasingly popular. So, um, you know, we believe that, you know, another way we can drive social impact through tech is through through our youth, through our young people, um, and providing them with the tools and experiences they need to be successful in a digital economy. Um, and we realize that the vast majority of schools don't offer those opportunities for them. Um, you know, granted, we do have some some legislation that's been introduced, and hopefully Governor Parsons will sign um, some legislation that will make it easier and more accessible for schools. Um, but that's, that's only one piece of the pie. Um, we have to be doing more directly working with schools and, and getting their young people exposed to technology. So that's, that's part of what we do. We offer camps. We have um, programs for uh, middle school students and high school students to um, just, you know, give them some experience working with tech. Um, we want to make it easy. We want to make it fun. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, if you can make something really relatable to, to kids and because uh, we all used to be them, right? Like mm-hmm. they still, still, still can have fun in our adult age, but, uh, you know, trying to make it so it seems less like homework, less like class and something that it's like, well, this is something that relates to me because um, it's super important. You know, we know that all these kids are not necessarily going to be software developers, but they're going to work in an environment in which wh- whether they're a, a welder or they work in journalism or mm-hmm. banking or whatever it is, the technology will, will have some influence in their lives. Um, and we know that uh, while there are a lot of dangers and there are a lot of risks associated with that, there's certainly a ton of benefits. Um, and we hope to, um, you know, do our part in that. Well, Matt, you've got a lot, I'm sure, of work to do to get ready for Global nah. Hack next week. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time yeah. to come in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, globalhack.org. Mm-hmm. Seriously, listeners, like uh, EQ Magazine put out this really good like write-up about even if you're not a software developer, here's how you can participate in a hackathon. We yeah, really- so that's what I've thought. If I'm not a developer or a coder, should I go? Should I not go? There Do I take part in the everyone. team? There's yeah. five roles, I think, that they, they outlined. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about those just briefly before we wrap up? Because I think it is good for people to take a quick look at it. Yeah, um, you know, I think that we want to break down some stereotypes about you have to be this like expert coder to participate a hackathon. Now, I will say that um, because we're asking for, pro- you know, software prototypes at the end of the day that, you know, someone on your team has to be has to have some sort of software skills, say some sort. They have to be a software developer. Right. Um, but actually, I got a tweet from um, one of our past participants and a big global hack supporter, Austin Smith, who was like, hey, you know, I, I signed up and I went to this hackathon and I'm just a business student, but I was like a great project manager. I brought some kind of business development, um, you know, uh, expertise to the table and we ended up, you know, walking away as, as one of the winners. So I think that um, if you can find yourself, you know, uh, fitting into one of those five roles, um, whether you're a graphic designer, again, project manager, I think was is one of the most overlooked um, roles. Especially in a 48 hour window. Yeah, right. You want people to be able to like, all right, this is our plan. Keep, you know, eyes on the prize sort of thing. Um, and then subject matter experts, right? If you're someone who ends up, if you, if you work for one of these organizations, if you um, deal with, if you're an immigration lawyer, someone who works with these populations, um, you can you can provide a lot of help to a team that may not be going in and they have no idea, you know, they, they have certain ideas or impressions and be like, this is, this is how it really works. Yeah. Um, and that... Providing that context is critical. And we provide that too. I mean, if you don't have someone who works with immigrants or refugees on your team, we do have subject matter experts who will be there um, who are available. We have a help desk. We have a panel. Um, So even if you don't have that on your team, we we kind of, we provide that um, 
to all teams. Very cool. Matt Manetti, Executive Director of Global Hack, globalhack.org. Check it out. Thank you so much. Thanks, and guys. thank you for joining us this week on Nothing Impossible. We'll do it again next week. Bye-bye. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.